Hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Simon and just before we get into this episode, in case this is the first time that you have heard of us, I just want to let you know how we operate. So we are a traditional audio-based podcast that focuses on 90s movies and TV shows. Half of our episodes is myself, Simon, and my co-host Dom going through these 90s movie and TV shows, reminiscing, going through, analysing, scene-by-scene, reviews, trivia, all of that good stuff. And the other half of our episodes, we're lucky to be joined by cast members or people from the crew or production, from the movies or TV shows that we're covering to hear their perspective on things. So we've decided that now, going forward, if we have an episode where we're joined by a cast member or someone from production etc or just a guest in general that we are going to also release the video content of that onto youtube so regardless whether we have a guest on or not we will always release the audio content onto all of the major podcast platforms so you can find our podcast on itunes spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, anywhere you can find podcasts you'll be able to find us under the mighty 90s And we have a great back catalogue on there as well with special guests on that we just weren't clever enough at the time to record the the videos. We can't share the video, but if you want to go back and listen to some of those, we had Rule D. Lewis, who played Junior Bevel in Cool Runnings. We've had Brandon Baker, who played Johnny in Johnny Tsunami. We had Matt Doherty, who played Averman in the Mighty Ducks trilogy. Marcus Toji, who played Marcus in The Little Giants. And then loads of other episodes that we've done that it's just me and Don. So if you'd like to find any of that stuff or any of the audio of the podcast, you can find all of that wherever you find your podcast. If you enjoy it, please rate, review, subscribe. Let us know what you think. Let us know of other guests or movies you'd like us to cover. And hope you enjoy this episode of The Mighty 90s. Hello and welcome to The Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Don. And I'm Simon. And I'm Tom. And on tonight's show, we're looking into Hook. Welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast, where it's always 10.30 at night, so it's time to grab the sweets from the treat cupboard and move on upstairs and settle in as tonight's movie for debate is Hook. So we are super fortunate and really, really happy to be able to introduce one of the Lost Boys, Mr. Thomas Tulak has joined us on this podcast. So welcome, Thomas. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? We're doing just fine. Fantastic. Awesome. We're so honoured <laughs> so honored to have you on. Thank you very much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, first things first, how's things uh, in your side of the world? So we, we know you're in LA. Um, how's things over there at the moment? Staying safe? Oh, I'm staying safe as you know, best as possible with uh, everything that's been going on. Uh, things for me personally are, are all right. You know, I've got my apartment and things are, I literally just moved into this apartment just before the pandemic hit and lockdown hit and everything. So I, you know, got in right under the wire and, and you know, things are doing pretty smooth over here, I think. For me, at least, not necessarily for the rest of <laughs> the rest of uh, everything. Well, that's good. Well, at least you're, you know, you're settled. And you're, you know, in a, in a safe place. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. And happy. So, obviously, the, you know, the main reason that we're here to, to talk is about Hook. But, you know, we love to l- learn a little bit more about you and kind of what you're involved in and what you're doing. Um, so, I try to look up 
as much as I possibly could about you over like the last week or so. <laughs> okay. um, since since we worked out that we were we were lucky enough to have you on. Um, <laughs> so I know that you are um, you, you have your own YouTube channel, mm-hmm. um, which I, you know I've gone through some of the videos in there. Obviously, a big Game of Thrones fan. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you do like songs to go with that. Is that right? Uh-huh. I do. Uh, uh, my, my YouTube channel is kind of a variety show, a bunch of different things, uh, comedy vlogs. I do some songs, music videos, uh, a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, I did just release a few, like a month ago. Oh man. Time is just, you know, relative lately, but I did put out a, a music video, uh, a silly little rap song about you know wasting time in quarantine by watching by catching up on Game of Thrones and and um, I have put out another a rock song uh, that's off my album uh, called Hold the Door, which is also kind of equating Game of Thrones and the character Hodor to uh, you know staying at home and and quarantine and holding the door and you know not going outside and all that. So there's a little bit of music mixed in with a little bit of uh, you know comedy vlogs and some filmmaking stuff and just a whole bunch of stuff going on over there so i, I watched i watched both videos and uh i really enjoyed the rap that was really good that was featuring <laughs> i assume a friend of yours oh uh, yeah uh, um, an actor friend of mine i have i i do a little uh i do filmmaking and i have an, a list of actors that i like to work with regularly and just he's he's on the list and then i um I found out that he also does rap and I was like, Hey, you know what? I've got this song. Let's, uh, let's work together on this song that I've been doing. And so, yeah, an actor friend of mine jumped in and, and did the, the hook, so to speak. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and the, the hold the door track as well. I saw that, mm-hmm. uh, extremely sort of heavy metal <laughs> yeah, uh, and, yeah, and, and rocking a face mask as well at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that nice. song uh, was more so the rap stuff is just kind of fun, a fun side thing for me. The uh, the heavy metal kind of rock stuff that I take a little bit more seriously. Um, it's still silly. It's still like, you know, humorous. But uh, I actually have an album of uh, music like that, that I wrote all the songs, performed all the instruments. And that album was just released on Spotify a couple of weeks ago. And um I'm about to drop probably within the next week or two, I'm going to drop the second uh, music video from that album. And so that's really exciting. This is my first album that's to actually be released on Spotify. That, that, that's awesome. I mean, can you tell us a couple things? We've got to, you, you, you're dropping bombs. The, uh, on, on the, for the YouTube. So we'll put the links in the description for the YouTube channel and then, you know, links to, to the album on Spotify. But, uh, just so people know, what's the name of the YouTube channel? So the YouTube channel is just youtube.com slash Thomas Tulock. So it's, it's pretty easy to find. Um, I think the channel name itself is named after my production company, easily amused group productions. Um, and it's there where I kind of, you know, put a little bit of everything that I'm working on, whether it's, like I said, the vlogs or it's filmmaking, because my, my primary focus is filmmaking. And so there's a lot of filmmaking stuff going on, music stuff, and it's all kind of there. Awesome. And so with, with, the, and, and so with the album, this mm-hmm. is going to be on Spotify uh, mm-hmm. or is on Spotify already? Is now. It's currently right now on Spotify and iTunes. Oh, awesome. Very cool. The album, uh, the, the artist name is Giant Robots in the Sky. 
And <laughs> the album, the album is called 42, which is uh, named after the, the title track 42, which will be not the next song that I kind of release a video for, but probably the one after that. And the, uh, the album, it's all like, it's heavier rock, but it's silly at the same time. I've had people listen to it, tell me that they feel like I could be the heavy metal weird owl. So like the song 42, for example, it's, it's got a heavy groove to it. It feels very heavy, but the song is about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> and then I've got another song about Star Wars and one about Doctor Who. And, you know, I'm just, just running the gambit of all the, the nerdy stuff that influences me, putting it out there through the heavy rock kind of stuff. I watched one of your um, other videos on, on Star Wars and your theory that the problem with Star Wars is Star Wars fans. Yes. Which, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's which another thing I do on there is talking about movies and stuff. But uh, yeah, man, that the Star Wars fans, they, they, they're so divided and so opinionated. They just, it's hard to just like Star Wars anymore without being having your opinion influenced one way or another by the fandom, you know? I went into the theater to see Rise of Skywalker without having seen any reviews or anybody talking about it beforehand. So I went in with a completely blank slate. And uh, the first and second time I watched it, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. There were a couple of things here and there where I was like, okay, yeah, but I'll dismiss that and enjoy the movie. And then I went online and I started seeing all these people talk about it and breaking it down. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, huh? And as much as I didn't want it to, it affected my opinion of the film, you know, just hearing what other people had to say. And that's, that's a bummer, you know? That's like, that makes it, that makes it hard to just enjoy things anymore, you know? And that's, that's the fault of the fans. People, I get it take it you know it means something to you i totally get it it means something to me too but at the end of the day relax you know <laughs> it's okay if somebody likes the last jedi and you don't that's fine you know just just relax live and let live you know <laughs> that's kind of the point of that film well, that, that kind of ties into the difference in the eras i guess two 90s films like hook that we're obviously gonna get to but mm. with the internet wasn't a thing or you know it wasn't a thing like it is now you don't sure. you don't have that you don't have these forums of people saying well if you freeze frame at 43 <laughs> minutes and four seconds you'll see it's a stunt person or whatever and <laughs> people just sort of embrace the the movie for sort of what it is and how it makes them feel and i mean mm -hmm. at the same time i guess we're probably sitting in a hypocritical position talking about <laughs> like you know fandom of these movies as uh, as you can tell this is what dom and i love to do but we the one thing we say about our podcast is we always keep it positive and uh we don't ever sort of trash on on movies because we don't pick movies to cover that we don't like so <laughs> and there's, a, and there's a big difference between you know negatively trashing on something and positively you know, talk, I, I love Star Wars, the original movies, but I, every time I watch it, I make fun of it, but I'm not doing it out of a negative way. You know, I'm, I'm like, oh, that effect didn't work or this thing or what, you know, but that doesn't take away from loving it. You know, it's when you get in there and you sort of have the negative, you know, vibe of like trying to tear it down for other people. That's, that, that's, that's a whole different thing. So it's, it's totally cool to like talk about and debate things. 
as long as, like you said, you keep it positive. And that's, that's really where the difference lies, you know. For sure, for sure. Uh, there was one other video that I actually really enjoyed, and that was your uh, experience at Starbucks <laughs> when uh, oh. someone paid for your, your drink. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, which was really kind, because I, I assume it's a drive through mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, they, they paid for your drink. The person ahead of you paid for it, which is great. And uh, uh, Simon probably hasn't seen this, but it was a $3 coffee. or, or Yeah, I got, I got one drink for like three bucks. So okay. Thomas, Thomas was then really generous and said, okay, let's keep this moving. Let's, let's keep this gen- generosity going because, you know, positivity spins positivity <laughs> and offered to then pay for the person buying him. Mm-hmm. And it was like much like, like nearly $20. It was like $20. Yeah. <laughs> they must've got like five, four or five drinks or whatever. And, and <laughs> you can't, you can't just be like, wait, okay. So before I offer to pay for the car behind me, what was their tab? You, you kind of yeah. just have to, <laughs> when I said that, okay, well then I'll pay for them. Uh, she was like, all right. And did it. And then it was $20. I'm like, well, wait, okay, hold up. It's <laughs> like, so I'm in now. I can't back up and be like, never mind. I've already committed. So, you know, I have to, <laughs> but, but you know, it's a, it's a thing that happens. So I've been told often, <laughs> and the one time it happened to me, I ended up paying twenty dollars for my one little drink. Hey, but you still, you still did a good thing. You was doing you it know? out of a pay, place of kindness. So exactly, it's like you said, positivity breeds positivity, and yeah, so pay it, pay it forward. And even if, uh, even if you pay twenty dollars more than uh, than you had to, then you're still putting positivity out into the world. Sure. Thank you, by the way, for uh, watching, actually watching videos from my YouTube channel. Like that's, that's really appreciated. That's okay. It was, it was great content. It was good to watch. I've actually got a question about one more. <laughs> all right. Hit me, hit me. It, it does spin into a hook question. So don't, don't worry. Okay. We will get, we will get to hook properly soon enough, but no um, uh, I assume you've got like a Star Wars fan film trailer on there. I think, is it mm-hmm. under your easily amused group productions? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's the the featured video when you go to my YouTube channel. But yeah, it's uh, it's under my easily amused group productions uh, production company, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a Star Wars fan film, but it's kind of taking a new like a different look, a different uh, uh, um, a different twist on Star Wars, which is something that I haven't seen done um, in any in any iteration of Star Wars before, and I. In, in preparing for this, I did watch a lot of fan films and, and look at a lot of extended universe stuff. And I hadn't seen anything that did, at least in a serious way, what I was trying to do with this film, where is I'm trying to take the, the ethos of Star Wars and bring it into modern day Earth and have it actually take place in like the here and now. And I wanted to see where I live represented in the world of Star Wars. So, um, is going to be un- unlike probably any Star Wars that we're all used to. But um, I-, I also wanted to focus on, the sh- on, on telling a good story as opposed to just having an excuse for a lightsaber battle <laughs> and the special effects and stuff. So um, I feel like adjusting to watching Star Wars in modern day Earth might be something that a lot of people initially take issue with, but once they if they actually give the film a chance and kind of let themselves get into the story, I feel like they'll, hopefully people will uh, enjoy that as much as they enjoy, you know, any other Star Wars uh, piece of content. 
Well, hopefully, um, hopefully pe people realise or, or can see the difference that Star Wars is a long time ago in a galaxy far away, <laughs> and you've, bring, you've you've brought it up to date. So, so their technology exactly. and their world has met ours now. So that exactly, was great. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it from watching <laughs> um, the featured sort of trailer and stuff like that. I thought Thank it was great. you. Yeah, exactly. The, the the idea behind it is that um, the events of the Star Wars films and everything that happens under the Star Wars banner actually happened a long time ago in a galaxy far away and here we are now in present day a long time later on earth but the force is real lightsabers are real all that stuff is real and we're just years later after the war when the jedi lost and the dark side took over but in doing that that means that i had to create all new characters because if all the characters that we know from Star Wars are going to be long gone by the point of this story. So I had to create a whole new Sith Lord, a whole new, a whole new everything. So I kind of just took the, the mythos and the ideas of Star Wars and, you know, redesigned it to fit with a more, you know, earth-based <laughs> story. Cool. That's uh, very cool. So will, uh, easy, uh, sorry, will Easily Amused Group Productions be making Hook 2? <laughs> that was the hook intended question that okay, okay. <laughs> uh i i don't uh i don't see that happening uh anytime soon maybe <laughs> maybe as uh maybe as a fan film kind of thing but i i, I don't know we'll see <laughs> i can't speak either way on that <laughs> uh, and they've got an original lost boy so why the hell not <laughs> why, why not although I, I might have trouble fitting into that onesie again though <laughs> <laughs> You never know. You never know. Hey, when uh, a few years back when we did the uh, the twenty fifth Lost Boy twenty fifth anniversary Lost Boy reunion, they put me in a onesie. <laughs> so, and I was I remember saying at the time, uh, if you take I because I was six when we did Hook, so I was I remember saying if you take a six year old and you put them in this onesie, it looks cute. But if you take a thirty year old man and you put him in the onesie, doesn't look cute anymore. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> It starts looking a bit awkward. It starts looking a bit awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was I was going to touch on that as well. Um, the the twenty five year anniversary. So it was in twenty sixteen, mm -hmm. um, and there's a great cast photo of, of obviously yourself and and the rest of the the Lost Boys, mm -hmm. um, or most of them at least anyway. Um, and it was uh, put together by Twenty Two Vision, mm -hmm. I think the production company that had done. They'd done a few other. Um, like reunions like Little Rascals and a couple of others and obviously Hook being the massive film that it was uh, even from 1991 so watching it recently it still holds up today still funny still got great action still got great effects you know considering the year um, and uh, that must have been nice to kind of get back together again so are you still in touch with the other guys from the film or are you in touch with them as a result of the reunion or any of that or not at all because you weren't interested or <laughs> <laughs> um not like on like a regular basis i i have contacts for a lot of the lost boys and i can if i needed to i can reach out to any of them um and i have um at different points you know reached out and, and or they've reached out to me and we we have talked a little bit we all obviously have this thing in common but it's not like you know you see other other former cast members uh, uh getting together all the time and and doing stuff it's not necessarily you know that tight-knit because you got to remember too there was a um a massive age difference 
in yeah. between the Lost Boys. I was the youngest on set at six years old, and the oldest on set was uh, uh, Dante uh, playing Rufio, and he was seventeen. And so there was, and and there were all the Lost Boys spanned the gamut between six and seventeen. And so, you know, we all kind of tended to hang out with other kids that were close to our age and that's still kind of the way that it is so there were there were a couple other uh, uh lost boys that are close to me in age and i feel like i maybe talked to those ones a little more than some of the other ones but uh but that said i can reach out to dante anytime or james maggio anytime if uh if i wanted to catch up or whatever i i, I do have ways to get a hold of them if i wanted to <laughs> James Maddio is like a hero of Dominic's because uh, oh, yeah. though Dom might not say it, I'd say it for him, but uh, Dom's a massive band of brothers, uh, ah. like huge, like obsessed. So uh, mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm heartbroken that band of brothers doesn't fall into the nineties. So we can't talk about <laughs> it on here. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you should have a, 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 a special episode where you cover just a little bit after the 90s considering you've got james maggio who was in something in the 90s and maybe maybe a little exception can be made <laughs> that's yeah. a great shout that's a great shout i'll have to there talk to go. simon about that <laughs> but oh, look, yeah. looking at the at the 25 year picture james maggio as much as i i love him and i'm a fan uh, he actually looks the oldest <laughs> it might be the beard that he had at the time but um it, the beard wasn't suit well it suits him but it made him look a little bit older than everyone else yeah, a little bit. And Dante, man, he he doesn't age. <laughs> he he looks exactly the same. I yeah. follow him on Instagram and uh, reached out to him as well. But um, unfortunately, like no contact with Aswine because you know Instagram is a busy world. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, he he does. Yeah, you're right. Looks exactly the same. And he's he's one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet too. Like he's super chill about like anything. And and no matter what's going on, he's always got this kind of suave swagger in every little thing that he does. <laughs> Uh, a couple years ago, he did. Uh, he produced a um, a uh, fan film uh, about Rufio that was supposed to be a prequel to Hook and a kind of the origin story of Rufio. And he produced it and he played a character in it. And he invited me to the set while they were filming it. And they were going to try to work in a cameo for me, but they ran out of time. But that's you know whatever. But so hanging out with him on set and and when they and watching them film that like and reconnecting with him he's 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 just a cool guy you know he's he's just a really really cool guy i have to ask uh so it, does that exist somewhere then this the the rufio prequel because if that's actually an amazing idea for how you could continue like uh uh you know in this universe is to have how the you know what happened when peter left you know, mm-hmm. and how that all built up. So is that, is that on YouTube somewhere or somewhere yeah. to download? It is. Um, it is. Last I, I remember, it is on YouTube. I want to say it's just called, I think it's called Bangarang, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to find it uh, after this and send you guys a link. Um, but yeah, it's, it's on YouTube, if I remember correctly. It should still be there as far as I, as far as I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, uh, he, he produced it and... Um, there it, it had a decent budget for a for a short fan film and uh yeah it was it was uh released online and and t- kind of went sort of mini viral if i remember correctly this was a few years ago um but uh so i'm i'm hazy on the specifics i'll i'll find you i'll find a link and i'll send it to you guys oh that, cool. yeah we'll put it in the in the description as well so people can get involved in it what can can you tell us about how you first got into acting like in terms of were you obviously 
you're saying you were six years old, but I mean, were you like doing commercials before that or was Hook the first thing you did or how, how did it all start for you? So my, uh, when, I, when I was five years old, um, my mom took me to um, uh, an open, ca- open talent search for, uh, from this, uh, this company that was you know, a management company. They were, look, they were looking for new talent and my mom caught wind of it and she took me to audition and I was, <clears throat> excuse me, I was one of 500 kids that auditioned to be represented by this company. And then I was one of, um, I think only a hundred to get a call back and then one of only 10 to get a third call back. And then I was one of only two out of the 500 that they took on as new clients. And then... From there, I did, I did a few little things before Hook. I did, um, I did a, a commercial for Care Bears, the, uh, the stuffed uh, animals, the stuffed teddy bears. I love um, I did, um, I did, uh, I was on a cover, on the cover of TV Guide when they were, um, they were, it was something, I, I'm going to butcher this horribly because this was a long time ago, but something to do with, uh, with the war that was happening at the time. And so there's little five-year-old me on the cover dressed in military uh, garb that is too big for me, holding a, a rifle that is bigger than me and tears coming down my face. And the caption says, where did daddy go? Um, I remember that clearly. Um, and then I did uh, a couple music videos, but like there was like a, a choir of, of children um, standing there together singing and I was just in the choir. So nothing super special, but it was, it was those kind of deals where it was like, they got a bunch of different celebrity singers together and they sing, um, uh, uh, we are the world. And can you tell me who the heroes are and, and that kind of stuff. And then hook was the first big, like notable, uh, thing that I got. And then, um, after hook, I did a couple other things I did. I was on four episodes of Cheers, but they cut out all of my parts uh, out of one episode. So I'm only credited for three episodes, mm-hmm. um, but I did do four. Um, and then I did, um, I did a pilot for a show called Middle Ages that didn't end up getting picked up. And then I did uh, an episode of Mad About You, um, just the one. And then shortly after that, I kind of stepped away from acting and I kind of decided I wanted to, you know, kind of grow up outside of the spotlight. This was all happening when I was six and seven years old. And so I kind of wanted to, you know, come of age away from the spotlight and have a normal, so to speak, upbringing. And then um, in my, in my twenties, I decided to get back into it, like allowing myself the time to sort of grow up and have a semi-normal sort of upbringing. There's so many puns there that I want to put out there of you saying, you know, you want to grow up and it's Peter Pan and the lost boy, but the, uh, I can't connect the dots. I'm sorry. I, sh- I wish I could do better, but Dom, have you got any puns? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like a newspaper he- headline waiting to happen, isn't it? Yeah, lost boy wants to grow up or something like that. <laughs> that. I keep joking that I should never have left Neverland because... <laughs> Well, I mean, it must be quite a difficult thing in in a way of having all the, so much success, like at such an early age that it must in a way cast a shadow over your future uh, that you then 
almost forever associated with it. I mean, fortunately, I, I would like to imagine, we'll find out from you in a second, I guess, you're connected to what is a beloved movie and, you know, has, you know, Robin Williams and, you know, Spielberg film and, you know, it's, it's a classic. Mm -hmm where I guess others are less fortunate and they're connected to things that, you know, people can be fickle and hate about and whatever. But I mean, is that something that you've found difficult or something that, you know, you've enjoyed sort of having that connection, I guess? Well, it, it's, it's, there, there are pros and cons. It's definitely something that uh, is going to be with me for the rest of my life and follow me in whatever endeavor I undertake, um, which can be a good thing and can be a not good thing. I mean, it just kind of depends on what it is I'm trying to do. But like, I mean, if, if uh, my attachment to that film opens doors and gets people interested in the things I'm doing now, then cool. Then, <laughs> you know, then I would, I would call that definitely uh, uh, a good thing. And I am glad to have been a part of something that is received in such a positive way. Like you said, there are plenty of people who are attached to things who are, that are uh, less beloved by, you know, by people in general, you know, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I left such a positive mark with such a, a, a well-liked film. I, I, I don't want to cite any examples, but it could have been a lot worse, you know, it has its ups and downs. Um, I did try to kind of grow up away from the spotlight and that did prove to be a little more difficult than um, I had anticipated as, uh, as much as I, I, I went to a, a normal public school, just like everybody else. But at the same time, that sort of followed me everywhere. And I kept getting, you know, it was known and it was, I was recognized and, and for a kid growing up, trying to grow up in a normal world where they're accepted by their friends for who they are instead of something like that, it can, you know, be trying. But um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm glad to have been a part of that film. No, I, I was just going to say, it's great that you've, um, you, you know, from quite a young age as well, you made that decision to uh, lead what I suppose we would call what a normal life as as normal as it can be as normal uh, as it can be yeah <laughs> yeah in this day and age as well and um the fact that you wanted to kind of separate yourself from that there's so many cases of you know child star syndrome um which you, you know you definitely would have fallen into that category i think if you'd carried on because there's, there's absolutely no doubt you would have kept being picked for things and cast and and thrown into other feature films and uh, and <laughs> all sorts of things. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I kept hearing, like you said, the child star syndrome. I kept seeing example after example of uh, other child actors uh, falling into these sort of routines that you know seem to be leading to nowhere but disaster. And I didn't want that for myself. So I, I'm I'm proud to say that I. I escaped the world of child acting without a drug habit and without, you know, not, not that I'm trying to talk negatively about anybody else, but I escaped relatively unscathed. I don't do drugs. I don't, you know, do any of that. My, my life is not a disaster. And I, th I think I do kind of attribute that to uh, uh, stepping out when I did and um, trying to come of age you know, as, as a private citizen, as much as, as much as possible, at least. I was, and to decide to, to go back into that 
sort of lifestyle and, and set up your own production company and make your own films and make your own music videos and have an album and stuff like that is all, all these like positive things that you're doing and, and putting back out into the world um, at an age where you're a lot more mature um, understand it a lot better can take control of it a lot better you haven't got anyone kind of hovering over you in control of what you can and can't do so it's probably mm. a lot more comfortable for you doing it now anyway so oh, yeah. uh, you know definitely a, probably the, the right choice and you know mm. a good path to follow oh yeah as 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 an adult now it's definitely easier to uh, understand and, and cope with everything that's going on than it was as you know as a, as a child when when I was six years old and I was on the set of that film I had no idea the gravity of what was going on around me you know I had no idea the, the weight that my co-star and that my director and that everybody I was working with that they carried and it, that was something I learned as I grew up because at the time you're you know you're a little too young to process all of that and and now as as an adult like you said trying to start my own uh, a production company and and getting back into it on the other side of the camera and and doing what I'm doing now it's definitely something that I am more able more equipped to understand and process and um, handle with an element of maturity that I didn't have when I was six and seven years old well I think also I mean all of all of those things but even stepping away like you said you probably still felt the weight of it in in the sense of so we've done quite a few of these with with actors and particularly child actors in the 90s and a lot of them have said that it's when they go to you know regular high school or whatever that they actually sort of get picked on for having this success which is crazy to me and I'm sure to Dom as well because Again, we're fans of all of this stuff, obviously. So if you were in our high school, we'd be like, oh, this is amazing. But um, but to some people, I guess it comes down to adolescence and jealousy. It's envy, really, isn't it, at the end of the day? Um, yeah. yeah, my mom used to tell me that the people who are picking on me at school are just jealous. <laughs> so, well, oh, yeah, that, there was a lot of that, absolutely. And it, uh, it did kind of breed, um, uh, you know, it, it made it made going to public school difficult, and that's, you know, it's, it's a shame. And like you said, I don't understand if you're a fan of the film, why you're going to do that. I, I don't think that's something that happens as much in today's culture, but you know, it was the nineties were a different time and, and yeah, definitely there was a lot of uh, ridicule attached to it. But I, well, I hope that, and obviously you said that you can, but to reflect on it, you know, as, as an adult and you just have to know that that is all jealousy and envy. And you mean, you were, you were, in a Robin Williams, Steven Spielberg movie. Like that is phenomenal. I'm jealous of you. I'm not going to, you know, bully you. I'm going to praise you. But, like that's what a healthy person would do. But, uh, you know, kids, kids are just stupid, aren't they? Oh that's, yeah. That's we're, just, we're, yeah. We're talking about an age and an era where uh, if you liked a girl, you hit her with a rock. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> so I think the same kind of thing applies. And it, it, it is what it is. And I'm grateful to, you know, be past that era. And now in the past, you know, uh, a decade or so, ever since the emergence of uh, social media and all that, I get the opposite. There's no more ridicule. There's no more anything negative. Now it's all positive interactions like what I'm having with you guys. So, you know, the, I feel like the, uh, the ridicule and all that is, is done and over and in the past. And now we can just move on to more positive, more positive interactions. 
I'll throw you some more positive vibes right now. So my, uh, I, I watched Hook recently. Obviously, I've seen it a million times, but I watched it recently for this with my wife. And, uh, and I said, we're, we're going to be talking to, to Tom, one of the Lost Boys. And she was like, which one? And I said, too small. And she's like, uh, like when we were watching it, she was just the whole time, just he is the cutest kid. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you are the cutest kid ever. I mean, <laughs> how did you know what that? How was that, Greg? I'm, I'm kind of glad Simon said that because I was going to say it. <laughs> it kind of feels a bit more comfortable coming from someone who's got a wife. So, <laughs> I have, I, I've heard that quite a bit, actually. And it, it's, it's funny because um, at the time that we made the film, I was the youngest and therefore I was the smallest. And then when we got together again for the 25th anniversary, I was the biggest. <laughs> I was the biggest lost boy that everyone else is short and thin. And I'm not so <laughs> it was just a um but well thank you i appreciate that well it's and uh so when dom and i were talking you know in the days leading up to this and and dom said and i'd noticed that you get a lot of screen time like that cute face gets on the screen a lot my friend <laughs> yeah i um i actually originally was not supposed to have as much screen time as i did but um as, as production went on and, and Steven just grew to, to like me and my performance and my work ethic and my professionalism more and more, he just kept giving me more parts and more screen time and more things. And uh, my, my dad likes to tell this story all the time where he was, um, he was on set and he was uh, uh, bringing me to one of the sound stages so we could film something. And Steven comes walking up surrounded by people who all wanted his attention. And when he saw my father, he stopped everybody, quieted everybody just to tell my father what a good job I was doing. <laughs> That's a story my dad doesn't like to forget. <laughs> so. That's amazing. Oh, There's one that you wouldn't forget. And definitely, I mean, he should be saying that every day to everyone he sees, <laughs> right. even if he's told them a thousand times before. <laughs> That, that's amazing. Well, I mean, so if we can we take it back to so how you got uh, like the audition process for Hook, like the first time you met um, Steven Spielberg, like how did okay. that all manifest? So, um, like I said, I had uh, auditioned for this talent agency who were looking for new talent and uh, a little bit into uh, working with them and I'd gone on all these other things. Uh, it, the timing kind of just worked out perfectly that right in there, my agency caught wind that Steven was uh, working on this, on, on this film and was casting for, he was looking for children, you know, to play these parts. And originally he didn't want to cast any child that was younger than nine. And I was cast at six. And that was just because, you know, I made such a good impression, I like to say. But um, so my, my agency got wind that Steven was casting for children and um, they worked it so that I could get an audition. And I went to Steven's office and I remember he had a, um, a waiting room outside of his office that uh, I don't know whether he did it specifically for this because he was auditioning a lot of children or if his office is always this way, but the office was full of arcade games. And <laughs> I was blown away because I mean, at the time, you know, arcades were a big deal and you, you go to arcade, you put a quarter in and you play a game. None of these games required quarters. You could just walk up, hit a button and start playing. And I was, I, I probably waited there for 20, 30 minutes and I was just 
playing games all the time. I was just, it, when they called me in, I almost didn't want to leave the game that I was playing to go and audition. <laughs> and then I remember I walked into his office and he had, it was almost like walking into Monty Burns's office from The Simpsons. He had this long table and at the end of the table, he was sat there in this kind of tall chair and there was a bunch of people standing around him. And at the other end of the table where I walked in, there was a, a chair at the end of the table and I was meant to sit in that chair, but instead I waltzed all the way down the length of the table. I pounded my fist on his desk and I said, you want me in your movie. <laughs> and, and then when, uh, when I got home, there was a voicemail on my answering machine saying that I was getting called back for a second audition. And then same thing happened again. I got home from the second audition and there was a voicemail saying I got the part. So there you go. <laughs> That is an incredible story. I absolutely love that. I mean, but there, there's actually an interesting connection there. So uh, have you seen the movie, uh, The Little Giants, with the Ooh. American football movie, like kids, Rick Moranis? Not since, you know, it came out. Not certain. I have seen, I know the film you're talking about. But you know, yeah. So, um, so that was made by, uh, or produced by Amblin. So it was, Spielberg was connected to it, but he didn't do it. But he helped mm -hmm. with the casting of it. So the reason I bring it up is because we had um, a couple of the cast members of that movie on our podcast. And they were talking about their audition process and that they auditioned for Steven Spielberg. And they said that in the waiting room area that they had these arcade games, and video <laughs> games. but it even goes a step further. They were showing uh, a, a movie in there and the movie was hook. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I don't recall there being a movie playing when I was in the waiting room, but um, I recall the video game. I recall there was one video game in particular that was my favorite. It was a racing game. And it was one where you actually climbed into a little car and you sat in a seat and there was a steering wheel. And I think that's the one I spent the most time on. So uh, that's, that's great to hear that um, other people remember that waiting room too. Yeah. For, as, as an impetus for the, for the kids of, of that film, it must have been, you need to be as good as these kids. <laughs> be this good. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take, yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Especially that little one. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, there's even a minute at the very end where it looks like you're about to be left in charge of... of yeah, Batman. that was kind of a big deal because they didn't tell us who was going to be picked. So we went into filming that scene not really knowing who was going to be chosen to be the next leader of the group. And there were rumors going around and the, the most popular rumor was that it was going to be me because I was the youngest. And so I went into that fully thinking, nobody knows it, but I'm going to be the one left in charge. <laughs> but after the fact, when, uh, when I got with the other Lost Boys again, they all kind of thought that it was going to be them too. So we all kind of went into it thinking we're going to be the ones to get picked. And then, um, and they did that so that when the, when we're filming, uh, the reactions can all be genuine from, from the person who actually gets picked, his reaction can be, you know, genuine. And so we did one take, the first take where we didn't know who was going to be picked. And then we, after that, we did a second take where we all know now because we just did the first take. And so, you know, we saw who was picked. And I think that one, the energy was a little bit less because we're all like, oh, well, I thought it was going to be me and it's not. So fine. Okay. <laughs> you should have gone and found Steven Spielberg before that scene and slammed your fists on your de on his desk and been like, 
Make me the leader of the lot. <laughs> want me to be the leader. Uh, yeah, I should have done that. So you get the part. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, and then when is it? Well, what point do you find out that like Robin Williams is involved and, you know, everybody else, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Bob Hoskins, like the, and, and when you find out. Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. Are, are, are you aware? <laughs> He's making that joke, I think, because I always leave out the female protagonist. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Exactly. It's, I don't mean to. <laughs> Just it's not okay. interested. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, so I, I actually found out, if I recall, um, uh, during at the table read, um, when I first got the part, all I knew was that I had got a part in a movie. I didn't really know, uh, you know, what that in, what that meant and who was going to be involved. And even when I did find out, I was six years old. I, I, I had no idea, you know what that meant at the time so like when when i found out oh it's steven spielberg oh it's robin williams dustin hoffman julia roberts that didn't really mean anything to me at the time you know what i mean and i i think maybe if i had known uh there might have been an element of added stress added pressure because i know that you know the heavyweights that i'm working with but since i didn't know it was more just like a you know a playtime with no pressure and then i found out after like in the following years, the uh, the sort of gravity that all of these names uh, brought to this film. And then it was a whole kind of different experience as I'm learning, oh, you know, Robin's career is this and Steven's career is that. And oh, wow, they're, they're really, wow, there was a lot of people involved. But when you're six, all you know is, you know, you're having playtime. Robin and I became really good friends during the filming of that. And so I grew up with kind of uh, idolizing Robin as a personal hero, kind of looking up to him like a big brother. And um, I didn't really, like, I, I felt like I saw Robin on a, in a different light as a more per- with a more personal relationship than um, maybe the most people do because they see him through his films and I actually spent time with him and bonded with him. And so when I started learning of Robin's career after, um, it was more like, um, uh, supporting a friend, you know, than uh, than actually idolizing an actor, so to speak. So, well, I mean, yeah. First and foremost, rest in peace, obviously, to Robin Williams, um, and that yeah. obviously must have been difficult uh, for you personally, having a, a relationship with him. Um, and and I mean, he's so important to so many people's childhoods uh, growing up and and adults as well. I mean, his career spans so many different sort of avenues, doesn't it? But I mean, I guess you would have then got to have known him and seen him in some of his biggest hits before they came, like Jumanji was post-Hook and Mrs. Mm -hmm. Doubtfire post-Hook. The Aladdin as the genie was after Mm -hmm. Hook, right? Um, so I guess you, yeah, it was, it was. I'm confident. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it's like 94 or something. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, say it with confidence and hopefully it's right. But uh, <laughs> but you got to, um, it must have been a really nice thing to you for you to witness, to see him go on such a massive oh, yeah. trajectory. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, nobody 
nobody can ever say anything negative about him in my presence because he lives so large in my heart and always has. So yeah, watching the, the, the path that his career took and just watching everything that he did and, and, and the impact that he had on the world. Yeah. That was very exciting to me. Uh, Cause like I said, it was like supporting, supporting my big brother. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, when, uh, when he passed, I took that particularly hard. I'm I'm not usually one to be affected by the passing of a celebrity, but uh, uh, Robin and I had a more personal connection than just you know the average celebrity. And so when when he passed, it hit me really hard. And I'm I'm not ashamed to say that I cried and that I locked myself away for days and I just. At first, I couldn't even watch his movies because it was too painful. And then I did spend a couple of days doing, I kind of shut everything down and just watched a bunch of his movies. And I'm not ashamed to say that I cried my eyes out. Mm. Um, and then uh, kind of my way of of coping and, and paying tribute to him um, on the one year anniversary of his passing, I released a, a music video um, of an original song that I wrote in tribute to him. It's called The Day the Laughter Died. And it's also up on my YouTube channel. I um, got with a couple musician friends of mine and we uh, got into the studio and, and uh, recorded this song and, and we uh, made a music video that was the recording sessions of the song. And um, I feel like the song sort of covers everything that, that needs to be covered about his impact on everybody that was impacted by him, you know, and kind of pays tribute in probably the most loving way that I know how to pay tribute to anybody. And that was kind of my way of, of, of dealing with and coping with uh, what had happened. And so yeah, that's uh, that video's up on my channel now. And uh, you know, I can, I can send you a link if you want to see it, but um, definitely, definitely was my way to deal with what had happened for sure. It's it's one that we'll definitely share and you know and put out there. And I, I watched it because you're you're drumming in a, in a lot of it, aren't you? Mm -hmm. uh, in the video in the in the session that you're you're doing, and mm -hmm. it's it's nice and it's like a touching tribute. And the the singer in it is great. And oh yeah, he did, um, he did a really good job. Very sort of me very meaningful words as well that that come from it as well. Thank you. Yeah, uh, the the singer and the guitar player were good friends of mine. Uh, uh, musicians. They had a band, and I I played with them a few times and. Uh, they were very gracious to join me on this project. And um, I, I felt like, yeah, it, the song needed someone with a powerful singing voice to kind of step in and, and, and really deliver uh, what that song needed. Um, and so I was, I was grateful. His, uh, the singer's name was Jericho. And I was, I was really grateful that Jericho uh, was a part of that project. It definitely was, I think, as powerful as it was because he was there. So really grateful to him and the uh, guitar player's name was Deacon and um, they play in a band together called the Raven and the Rub and and um, I've seen them play live and they're awesome um, and they were gracious enough to join me in the studio for that project and so oh um, we'll hopefully do a, a big shout out to them as well we'll we'll put the uh, the link to the to the YouTube video in the description of this as well so anyone that's listening any of the the links that uh and videos that we mentioned we'll put all of that in the description so uh yeah it'll be easy to find and yeah that's it, it's also it's really nice um 
to hear people speak so fondly of celebrities that you grow up idolizing and loving because sometimes it can be the opposite like you can sort of love someone and then you hear all these like horrible stories about them and then it's like kind of ruins it a little bit but um, as you said I and I couldn't imagine anyone ever having a bad word to say about Robin Williams uh, in fact we actually had uh, Todd Bosley who's one of the actors from the Little Giants but he was also in the movie Jack uh, with Robin Williams and he was saying the same thing uh, just on that how amazing it was to be around how he sort of uh, lit would light up the set and uh, was like entertaining the crew and when they you know between takes and things like that and just being a really sort of gracious man so I think I'm sure everyone uh, in a way feels uh, I don't know what the word is kind of it's nice to just nice to hear because we then he just lives on even further in you know in our hearts to of being the awesome man that that he, an entertainer that he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. There's it's it's such a shame when you hear you know negative things about celebrities who you know you thought so well of before, and then you find out these negative things, and none of that applied to Robin. He was nothing but the best of us. He was he was he was the best of us. And uh, I definitely feel like the world is a little bit darker without him. Um, uh, I'd actually, I'd, I read somewhere fairly recently that um, his rider, I don't know how early or late into his um, film, like big movie career, um, this became his rider. But uh, every production company that he worked for and all the films that he was on, they had to hire a certain percentage of uh, homeless people to act as crew and work as crew on, on every film that he, he did from a certain point mm. um, because he wanted these people to be in work and, and doing something and give something back to society. And that was his way of, of, of doing that. And, uh, you know, apparently he was always, uh, you know, from what I've read, you know, part of the family, part of the crew and would talk mm. to absolutely everyone and spend time with them, and um, which is great to read as a, as a fan. Uh, and as yeah. someone that has grown up watching his films and um, f- from Hook onwards, you know. Mm-hmm. He was definitely a, a big champion of uh, helping out the homeless. He spent, he spent years uh, uh, doing that show, uh, Comic Relief, alongside uh, Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg, where they had comedians come on and, and do stand-up. And it was all about like raising money to help feed and shelter the homeless. And I, I don't know exactly how many years he was on that, but several years in a row, uh, he did the comic relief special. And, and so, yeah, helping, helping the homeless and the less fortunate was always a big part of, um, of his, his, uh, his, his life. Like it was a big thing for him. And yeah, he was, he was always, there was never any sense of like, I'm better than you, you know, around him, like a lot of other, and again, I'm not going to name any names, but a, a, a lot of other people in the position that he was in, uh, there have been stories about like the condescending sort of elitist mindset, but that never existed with Robin. He always made you feel welcome and comfortable and no matter who you are or what you were doing or in the project or, or whatever you were always, he always made you feel like it was equal ground. And I, I remember um, uh, I had a trailer and uh, he would come and knock on my trailer door and my mom would answer and he would go, can Tommy come out to play? And then we'd go and we'd play ball, you know? And so he uh, never made me feel 
like he was talking down to me at any point. He, it was always equal ground. And then we played ball and we played, we hooked our, our Game Boys up to get, because that was back when you had to, when you, you want to play Game Boy with someone, you connect a, a three foot wire and then you can play Game Boy with each other. And so we did a lot of that kind of stuff. And there was, it was uh, probably the most like welcoming big brother kind of thing that you could ever imagine. And you shared, you seem to share the, the most screen time with him. Um, so obviously you have that, that bond and that relationship because even even his sort of kids in the movie he does not he's quite separate from them for pretty much mm -hmm. the whole film so mm -hmm. um you you must be the person that had the most the most screen time with him and and were with him pretty much all the way through i like to think that um there was a scene where uh uh tinkerbell and rufio are fighting back and forth over whether he's the pan or not and the lost boys are running back and forth across the line that rufio had drawn in the sand with his sword. And um, in that scene, I was supposed to join everybody in running back and forth uh, every time they would say, well, he is and, or he's not, and then they'd run. I, I couldn't. If you, if you watch it, I start on the one side, I run over to Peter's side, and then the rest of the time I stay. I refuse to leave his side because I didn't want to hurt my friend's feelings. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I stay right there by his side the whole time and uh, and I refused to leave his side, even when Stephen was specifically telling me, "Tom, run, go." I, I wouldn't. I refused. I, 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 I didn't want to hurt. I didn't want to betray my friend. Uh, I've actually I've actually written in my notes um, uh, every time the kids are like when Rufio draws the line with the sword, you you don't move, you stay with him. And I thought that was brilliant. Um, <laughs> so it's great to actually hear you bring that up because I, I was going to mention it. I'm like, you don't move. There's even one point. Where you touch him <laughs> slightly because mm -hmm. everyone's mm -hmm. gone to the other side everyone uh to to coin an english phrase is everyone's buggered off to rufio's side <laughs> and uh you're there and you're like no no i'm here i'm here yeah it's i'm okay. here i got you buddy i got yeah. you <laughs> that's that's loyalty man that's yeah, man. loyalty but do you Even know against spielberg loyalty right yeah. yeah, man. Spielberg is telling me to cross the line and, and, and run. And I, I know if I have to choose between Steven and Robin, I'm staying over here and back in Robin. Yeah. You want me in this film and I'm not crossing that line. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I can, I can do all these things to Steven and still end up getting more screen time and more parts. And <laughs> well, that's it. It's probably the more ballsy you were, the more successful you were getting. So There you go. There you go. I heard uh, uh, sometime later, I think it was during the, um, the uh, 25th anniversary reunion from Dante that he got cast because Steven was intimidated by him. So yeah, I think it kind of goes in that wow. line. That's, that's, that's funny. Well, on, <laughs> on that scene of the, uh, the sword, the line in the sand. So mm -hmm. this is another theme that we have on our podcast is that Dom doesn't cry at anything because he has no soul and I cry at everything. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually, I, I'll admit it, I had tears in my eyes and I wasn't expecting <laughs> it to happen. But at the point where, um, where you will start touching Peter's face and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, it is you in there because it was kind of this whole, the whole symbolism of, you kind of lose just lose yourself when you're older and you kind of lose that inner child and then being rediscovered and it's like behind all of you know these crow's feet and wrinkles that we develop as we get older and it was sort of mm -hmm. like it was really touching and it kind of came out of left field i was like oh my god i'm crying on a <laughs> sunday afternoon 
<laughs> it's um, it, it is a very powerful scene. And I, I think I have to fall on the same side of that as you do. I, I cry at anything. I just, I get, I get involved and I feel what's going on. And yeah, I, we, uh, uh, me and my fiance just watched um, Hamilton the other day. And now that it's on Disney plus and that had me crying. I'm like, yeah, dude, I, I, I fall into that. Um, so, so you're mentioning that scene um, and with the touching of the face and everything. And so I, I, I want to say in, we talked earlier about my star Wars fan film. I kind of secretly um, secret, not so secret did a, a kind of hook tribute within that film um, later on in hook when, uh, when he becomes the pan and he's got the pan outfit on and he has the, 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 the pan sword and he kind of lifts the pan sword up uh, and to kind of embrace it and the camera pulls back and it's this nice big wide shot and everything. I kind of, uh, uh, paid homage to that scene at the end of my Star Wars film. Um, the character, the good guy, the Jedi, gets the, uh, the, dark, the Dark Lord's red lightsaber and she heals it and makes it a white lightsaber. And at the end, she reveals it by, she holds it up just like, and I did the same camera move and everything that happened in Hook. And, and it's because it's a fan film, I even used that same music that was from Hook and it, uh, so I kind of, you know, paid my own little homage to uh, to Hook in that in that scene because I always felt that was when when he embraces who he is and and holds up the sword like that. I always felt like that was a very powerful and poignant moment. And so I kind of, you know, paid my own little tribute to it in, in that way. She holds up the lightsaber and it's a it's a white blade now and it's the same music and the same camera movement and everything. And so I love that. I'll be watching that later tonight. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, I mean, there's so, there's so much about this film that I love and it kind of fits into this nineties era of where kids films were treated like adult films in, in terms of, you know, there's, there's actually some dark stuff in hook, but it's got a, a U. Uh, I don't know if this is the same as American, um, certifications, but a U in the UK means any kid a baby can watch this you know anyone can watch it but you know there's there's talks of uh you know hook committing suicide in it though he was just doing it for attention we know but (laughs) there's all kinds of um you know sort of imagery and things that you know these days would definitely bump it up but it also fits in this category of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the 1990 version. Oh, yeah, dude. The first Ninja Turtles movie is so depressing. Holy <laughs> goodness. It's so sad. You got That's leave. why I think the second one goes over the top in the other direction and is just goofy because the first one was so sad. And you don't realize it when you're a kid, but man, as an adult, I went back and watched it and I was like, I'm going to cry my eyes out over here. This is- <laughs> Well, you've got Leonardo in the bathtub, right? Mm-hmm, People outside right? meditating for him, you know, drawing pictures. And then, in the, and then in the sequel, like you said, they had to overcompensate and bring vanilla ice in to try and balance <laughs> it out. Go ninja, go ninja, go. Yeah. That's, <laughs> the second a, one was just so goofy. But that's the first a big one... song, though. Go ninja, go. That's a big song. That's ringtone worthy right there. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, you said just a side quest real quick. You said, uh, uh, the U means anybody can, can, can watch. 
Yeah, you know yeah it, means, it means universal, doesn't it? So it literally universal, means okay. anyone can watch it over here. What um, if if I can ask? What are the what are the different ratings over there? You've got UPG, which is parental guidance, uh, twelve, the um, fifteen, and eighteen. Okay, so they actually put like the age you have to be in order to want. Oh, interesting. The, yeah. the the PG one, so the one that's up, just one up from this, means that anyone can watch it if the parent consents. So, um, and then I think with a twelve, I think they changed it. It's like a twelve and a twelve A. So twelve A is like a kid under twelve can go and watch it if they're accompanied by an adult. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, what what is it in America? So in America, the the you have G, which means anybody can watch it, right. and then you have PG for parental guidance, and then you have PG thirteen, which means parental guidance, but really they got to be at least thirteen, and then from there you go straight to R, which is restricted, meaning that you you got to be at least seventeen to watch it, but. Um, only with only if your parent says it's okay um, and like they won't let you into the theater if you're under 17 unless you're with a parent and then from there you go into NC 17 which means nobody under 17 regardless of with their with a parent or not so it's wow. it's, it's interesting it's a it, the difference is there so what what was it released as in in the U.S. You know, that's a, <laughs> quick find. I, I, say G. I think G. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like uh, it, it, at the time uh, uh, things were a lot less strict, and you can get away with a lot more in a G than you could now. Uh, so I want to say it was G. Um, I do have a, a a copy of it on my DVD shelf. I could go check. I don't remember. It's okay. He sounds right. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, I think I think the thing the the my what I'm trying to allude to is that Hook wouldn't exist today. Like mm. if they did, if they did Peter Pan today, it would be Pixar CGI or whatever. Or if it was a live action, Peter would be flying around and it would all be CGI. And this is one of like my gripes with. Like the, I'm gonna go in a real tangent now. But do it, do it, do it. <laughs> but like, there's a reason why Jurassic Park, the original one, is the best one of the of that trilogy. No, it's just the best one in general. Of course it is. But because of the animatronics and it doesn't over, obviously it's Spielberg again, but it doesn't overdo the CGI and it builds up the suspense and you know it takes an hour before you see the T Rex and all of these you know reasons why. Spielberg is, you know, masterful at creating uh, movies, but it's, um, but now it would all be just, you know, all guns blazing, computer animated, and uh, and these '90s films, they have that darkness to them that is, I guess, appealing to the to the adults, but I feel like it's got more longevity. I mean, I don't know. Am I just being like a depressing old man? <laughs> no, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, the the films in the nineties uh, uh, they had like you said it was it was it was animatronics it was a lot of practical effects and um, a, a lot of uh, actual sets you know every all of the the sets that you saw in Hook were actually built in a sound studio the the pirate ship existed the treehouse existed everything was real you know and, and a lot of uh, movies now the the they film on a green screen set you know, or, um, or in the case of the Mandalorian, they film in front of an led wall, but, uh, 
you know, Hook and a lot of the movies from that era, they built the real sets and it, everything was really there. And that, that gives it a whole different kind of feel. It's like you said, uh, movies nowadays, it's all, you go in guns blazing with all the CG and, and you, I, I'm with you on that, man. The CG, it helps, but it's, again, it's a tool to help you tell a story. You don't want to overuse that tool. You want to use it when and where, you know, it, it, it fits. And yeah. I, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with I, you. On. I get what you're saying. I mean, I, do you know, I thought, I think a good example is that where it balances it well is uh, the Planet of the Apes trilogy, the more recent ones. And the reason why I think it works well there is because you know you've got Andy Serkis and other people in the suits, in the motion capture. So as much as mm -hmm. it's CGI, you know, apes, etc., but you know the movements are being done. So it's almost like it's an, a hybrid in the middle where yeah. sometimes you can get people, you know, some of the CG stuff, um, it, where it's just you know that that's not even no one's done any of it so it's almost right. like you're watching half a movie and half a cartoon sort of mm -hmm. merged together but again it but it's not to be it's not to be negative this is just you know my subjective tastes and it's not to say there's anything wrong with and i'm and i'm sure that's what you're saying as well it's not to say there's anything wrong with these movies they all have an audience for it i just think that when you see something like hook uh and you know jurassic park and even you know you go way back to jaws and things like that it's like there's i respect the effort that went into creating the effect of it oh yeah for sure and and from an actor's uh, uh point of view you're definitely going to get a better performance a more realistic and believable performance out of your actors if you put them in a scenario where they can actually see and feel and know what's going on around them than in a green screen studio and and have all of that stuff put in afterward you know what i mean because then they're just reacting to to nothing and they're going just off of what you tell them is going to be there and it's imagination playtime but if you actually put them in the environment with the practical effect with with the uh, the dinosaur actually the head right there you know you're going to get a better performance you know uh to bring it back to hook um at the end, uh, Hook is defeated. The croc comes. The crocodile comes down and lands on Captain Hook. And then I come in and uh, I look in the mouth and I say, "Hook's gone." And I go go through. I was bloody terrified <laughs> to go through the mouth of that crocodile because it, it was so big and it looked so real. And of course, I was six, so to me, it looked real. And I had just watched the croc come down and eat Captain Hook. And I was supposed to go through the mouth. If you watch it, I come up and I look in, I give the line and then the camera pulls back. And then way later, I kind of jump through real quick. I was terrified that he was going to close his mouth and catch me when I jumped through. It was terrifying because it was really there. They really built it and they really made it look like a crocodile. And I actually had to run through it, you know? So I think that goes back into what you're saying. It, having it really there made it more believable, not only for the audience, but for the actor as well. It's a fantastic shot as well. So as, when, it, when it comes down and it lands, it's like in that shape and then you're just there mm -hmm. straight through. So you've got like the arch of the, of the jaw and there's just <laughs> you standing there looking like, uh, okay, I've got to approach this now. <laughs> so, so scared to go through that. <laughs> we did several takes and, and of the first few takes, I couldn't even do it. 
eventually I did it, but way after my cue. And if you, if you see it, the camera pulls back and everybody's running in and all that. And then I kind of way later jump in, go through real quick. Like it was so scary. <laughs> it was so scary. Um, well, one thing I wanted to talk about is, was your lines in the film. So you've got some of, some of the best lines and sort of little, really like nice little moments. Um, were you given a script or was it a, you know, this is going to be your line for this scene. This is what you need to say at this point. Or oh, yeah. was it just say something and we'll kind of work it from there. <laughs> oh no, I definitely, definitely had a script and um, I had the full movie script, which of course changed, you know, as production went, but then every day uh, that morning or sometimes the night before I would receive a script for the scene that we're going to film that day. And so, um, I, yeah, everything was definitely written out and, and, and planned. And um, there wasn't really, at least that I can remember, there wasn't really a lot of like improvising or anything like that. Everything was sort of, at least not from like my end. I'm sure Robin did a lot of improvising, but because uh, that's what he's known for. But uh, but no, my, all of my lines were written out and, and planned. And um, uh, I definitely, there, there, the only thing that I can recall off the top of my head that was not supposed to be in the script that ended up making it, there was a, there's a shot where I have a, a tomato launcher and it's in the close-up shot of me and I'm aiming my tomato launcher and I kind of just like rub my face because like it, it, I had an itch and uh, I, I want to say that's still in. They might have cut it out, but um, they kept telling me, don't touch your face. And I did. And I, and I, so um, I don't recall if that's still in it or not, but, uh, or, or in another scene, I was dressed up like a pirate and I had a mustache and I kept playing with the mustache. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to, but uh, that's, that's really the extent of uh, anything that I did that wasn't scripted. So all of my, all of my lines were scripted. I, I don't think all of my lines originally were intended for me because there were definitely parts where uh, Stephen knew that he, he needed a Lost Boy to deliver this line and then had to choose one. And then as production went, uh, went on, uh, he chose me to deliver this line more, more often. And other, other lines went to other uh, Lost Boys as they went. So he, he kind of had a rough idea of this needs to happen. And then as we go, we figure out who's going to be the one doing it. One thing I, I tend to do is is kind of um, unintentionally put some of the stars that we talk to under pressure and okay. go, can you can you remember any of your lines? But most importantly, <laughs> can you remember your first line? But don't worry if you can't, because I'll, okay. I'll try Simon in a minute and he won't get it right, so it's fine. Uh, my first <laughs> line, I, I, can, I, only, I think I only had 15 lines, 20 lines, less than that. I don't remember exactly how many I had. Uh, let's see, my first line would have been, uh, he's an old fat grandpa man. Perfect. Spot on. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I think you're the first one to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I do, I think I remember most of my lines. I can tell you this. At one point I say, I give the line, welcome back, Pan the man. And a lot of people, whenever I do an interview like this, they question me on that line because a lot of people tend to think it's Panda man. That's not the line. It's not Panda Man. It's Pan the Man. I've, I've, I've got that one written down too. Is it Welcome Back to Neverland, Pan the Man, which is, yeah. which is a line. Great line. That's the line. I've Panda got, I've Man got... doesn't make any sense. Pan the Man. <laughs> if, unless he was, you know, dressing up as a bear. But right, right. He didn't really do that. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a question for Simon. Oh, no. So, 
when uh, Pan is uh, when Peter is being reminded of of who he is, and they're trying to get him to fly, and he's thinking happy thoughts. Do you know what sign Thomas or Too Small is holding when they're holding him up to think when it wants them to think happy happy thoughts? Any ideas? Uh, <laughs> holding up a sign. What does it say? Something on the sign. They're, they're all holding up happy thoughts. Like yeah. th- this could this could you know kick in oh. or generate a happy thought. Oh okay. Uh, just, before, just before Peter Pan falls into the colorful mud. Yeah. Yes. He's going up. He's going up. He's coming down. <laughs> uh, no, I can't remember. Food? Is it food? It's not food. No. Thomas, do you know? I believe my sign said birthdays. It did. It said birthday. So B E R F D A Y, birthday. Nice. Well, you, you got to ride on, on his back. That was a that's that's a great part when you're and he's going through his like working out montage, right? Mm-hmm. You're instrumental yeah, in, in getting Robin Williams fit. <laughs> it was uh, that particular scene. I, I got into a little uh, um, uh, I don't want to say a disagreement with the Lost Boy that was behind me because I'm riding on Peter's back, piggyback, and the Lost Boy behind me, Isaiah he keeps smacking Peter, but he keeps hitting me in the butt instead of hitting Peter. So he's spanking me as we're going along. And I kept yelling at him and we, it was like a, it was like a little disagreement there. Like, yeah. Like don't spank me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this, this, uh, a question that, uh, that we also like to ask people and we get very varied responses. Um, so we've asked people how many times roughly that they've seen the movie that they've been in. So we have some people that say they've seen it, you know, like hardly ever. They watched it once, they can't watch it again. And we have other, the, the record, somebody watched the movie they were in a hundred times. Um, yeah, how many times would you say you've seen Hook <laughs> over the years? I don't know that I can put a number on it. I can tell you that initially I watched it a lot. Um, I'll be because a lot of people wanted to watch it with me. Mm. Um, I obviously, I saw it the first time at the premiere party. Um, And then after that, whenever I watched it, it was somebody wanting to watch it with me. And then um, I definitely kind of hit a point where I just sort of stopped watching it as much. I feel like the last time that I actually watched it was uh, when it was, uh, there was a Blu-ray that was released couple of years ago that had uh, uh, some deleted scenes in it. And uh, I, I picked up a copy of that and I, I watched it and I watched uh, specifically, I wanted to see what the scenes were that were, that they had, that were deleted, that they added. Um, but to be honest, I, I've, I've seen it a few times initially a lot, but late, I haven't seen it all that much in recent years. When you when you was a kid and was watching it, would you just skip the first act? Like, would you just skip <laughs> it to straight to when he's in Neverland? Yeah, I, I uh, definitely feel like I did that more often than not. Because again, if I'm if a lot of it is I'm watching it with someone that wants to watch it with me, and therefore they want to get to to Neverland. So yeah, I feel like I've definitely seen that first act a lot less than the rest of the film. It's um, it was crazy. So for me i've probably seen hook probably like 10 times i'd say but i probably haven't seen it since for like 20 
25 years or something um mm -hmm. we're we're like we're 33 dom and i uh birthdays are two weeks apart so we classify as the same person now so okay. i'm 33 you've still got two days to go two days nice. to go, yeah. <laughs> um but watching it so watching it recently like i wouldn't have picked up i don't think as a child on like the sort of the the peter wendy vibes at like in the first act and you know the dynamic of she's old but not you know and the the whole back and forth and whatever which is great like i really enjoyed it but that that probably went over my head i mean mm. when you watched it as a kid were you picking up on that stuff or that was over your head as well oh there was a, there was definitely a lot of it that was over my head that definitely um uh also captain hook's uh suicide scene that also over my head you know I mean, what what six-year-old what seven-year-old knows about you know depression and suicide and and stuff like that yeah there's a lot of it that i picked up on as an adult which which tends to be the case and with most films with most anything you as a kid you don't see it and then you watch it through the eyes of an adult and and you pick up on things like that that you didn't see the first time around that's that's uh definitely a common thing for sure well and you had some other big legends in the movie as well dustin hoffman uh bob hoskins i mean did you have uh you know any any cool interactions with them on on set or anything like and that? julia roberts and julia roberts do you know <laughs> do you know do you know i was almost leave I was almost leaving her out on purpose because okay. uh, a lot of the a lot of what I'd read online was that and I so I won't ask you for comment because I don't want to put you in that sort of position but a lot of stuff that I had read online was that she had like a nickname on set of instead of Tinker Bell for being <laughs> Tinker Hell and that she was difficult to work with she had someone that had to clean her feet this is all stuff I've just read on IMDb so I was thought <laughs> Let's just leave that to one side. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> potentially, I'll edit and cut this part out. But <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, there, I, mm, <laughs> I'll, I'll say uh, there's a little bit of truth to some of that, and then I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say. I will say this though. Um, of all of the people that were involved in the cast. Julia is probably the one person who I had no contact with at all. And that was done very much on purpose because at the time uh, she was, she had just come off of pretty woman. She was a rising, you know, leading lady. And um, she had a, she was always surrounded by a security detail. She had some uh, a stalker that was a security threat or something like that. And so uh, the only people that really worked with her were Steven and Robin and her personal crew. Um, and so nobody else really had any direct contact with her. And so, yeah, when, when, when we talk about, when I talk about the people I worked with on that film, I also sort of leave her out because I didn't really work with her. Like she's in the same film, but I never, I never had any kind of personal connection to her at all. She kept herself, for safety reasons, kept herself secluded uh, behind her security at all, pretty much all times. And I think the only reason that Robin even worked with her is because they had the one scene with her where she grows big and so they had a scene together. But even the rest of the time when she's interacting with people, you know, she's tiny and everyone else is normal size. So even those times she's clearly not, like the scene she had with Hook, 
uh, she wasn't really there, <laughs> you know, we were done separately and then composited. So uh, she didn't really interact with anybody uh, except for Stephen and, and, and Robin. So it's, it's kind of justified to, uh, to leave her off of that list. But, uh, but at the same time, we still got to mention her because she was there and, and, and all that. So. Thank, thank you, Tom. See, <laughs> Dom, okay? You get it now, Dom? Just justifying <laughs> Simon now, whatever. <laughs> well, 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 we had Maggie Smith. It's a big Thanks. name. I know you, you, they didn't share any scenes, but I mean, still, you know, that's a, that's a big name to have in there. I mean, did, did you get to meet her or just in passing? I think I, I met her at the rap party. Um, and that's, that's just because she was in the real world and I was in Neverland. And so those two worlds didn't really, didn't really meet. And uh, they, as far as I know, they filmed all of the real world stuff in London, whereas they filmed all the Neverland stuff on a soundstage in LA. And so, yeah, I just never really, never really came in contact with her. I, I want to say I met her at the rap party though. So at least, at least I did meet her. What would be great is um, for all your music stuff that's coming out is if you met Phil Collins as well and had any sort of screen time because he's he's in it for a very very short time. But I was which is I was really surprised by. It. I had no idea he was in it until he popped up when I when I last watched it. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, Jesus, that's Phil Collins. <laughs> the the film is actually filled with uh, celebrity cameos that a lot of people don't even realize. Like uh, when when um, when Tinkerbell is carrying Robin, uh, when carrying Peter away to Neverland for the first time, and she's dropping all that fairy dust, and there's a couple that kind of rises up. They're like making out, and they kind of rise up. That couple is George Lucas and Carrie Fisher. Yeah, and people don't realize the film is filled uh, uh, with cameos. The the pirate that gets put in the boo box, that's Glenn Close. Um, and then there's another pirate that, um, yeah, Glenn Close uh, dressed up like a male pirate. Um, and because of all the makeup, you don't recognize her. Um, and then That's there was insane. another one. Uh, 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 it was a, a singer. Uh, he's from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Uh, he was uh, one of the pirates when the kids were up there in the, in the, in the net and Peter's supposed to fly up and catch them he has a line or two about uh fly up there inside don't remember the line um but yeah that's uh i want to say one of the guys from crosby sells a mash i can't remember his name um but yeah there's there's cameos all throughout the film and people don't really uh don't really know and aren't really aware because they kind of fly under the radar i'd i'd read online i don't know if this is true uh but apparently the original choice for Hook, they wanted to get David Bowie for that. Did you hear that? <laughs> I, I have not heard that one. I heard that um, uh, uh, Michael Jackson was being considered for the part of Peter Pan. Um, but that, that's just, a, I, I, that's a rumor that I heard. I don't know how true that was, but um, no, I, I hadn't heard David Bowie for Hook. That would have been an interesting movie altogether. That, David Bowie or Michael Jackson would have been crazy maybe this is partly you know it didn't work out so he built his own his, you know, his own <laughs> branch in tribute or something so he could oh, yeah, play, for sure. yeah in his garden <laughs> oh what about uh dustin hoffman did you uh have any cool interaction with him i i did um uh he had his birthday uh during the filming and i attended and 
Uh, he served gummy bears and Kool-Aid and, and he gave, uh, he gave a, a gift to everybody that was um, an audio book of him reading Horton Hears a Who. And so I had a cassette tape of Horton Hears a Who read by Dustin Hoffman somewhere um, uh, 30 years ago. I couldn't tell you what happened to it now, but he, he uh, gave that out. And so I did, I did uh, get to have some interaction with him. Not quite as much as Robin. He, he uh, Dustin sort of, um, Dustin was definitely the kind of guy that when the cameras are rolling, he's up and he's larger than life. But as soon as it's cut, he's sort of subdued and kind of keep to himself kind of guy. So, you know, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just kind of the way that he was. That's cool. And, uh, and Bob Hoskins. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, I feel like I, I met him and, and got some interaction with him, but nothing that I particularly can remember, uh, that stands out as much as, as some of the others. So what, one thing we like to ask, um, as well, <laughs> which you can be as honest or, or as dishonest as you like, um, we're, ne we're never going to know, um, okay. but it's, it's whether you have, um, any kind of like memorabilia, any stuff from the set or anything that you were given as mementos. Obviously you've got Dustin Hoffman's tape somewhere. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, I do actually, um, I have two things. Oh, he's got them to um, hand. <laughs> <laughs> so first I have um, this, this goblet that is uh, sort of my pencil holder now. This was um, on, this was on screen. I think it was in, um, on a pirate ship somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where it was used. And then afterward, it was uh, engraved for me. That's awesome. Um, and so this kind of uh, sits on my desk and my desk and holds my uh, my pens and my uh, my Mister Me seeks that my fiance put googly eyes on. <laughs> so I have that. And then I have uh, this is sort of the um, the prize my prize possession right here. This is a hardbound copy of the original draft of the script that um, was made by Robin as a wrap gift. Uh, he only made like a dozen of these um, and handed them out at the wrap party. This is the original draft of the script. Uh, not the version that we shot because it changed quite a bit over time, um, but this is the original draft. And on the front of this is a personal message and autograph. Wow. And so if, uh, if anyone's listening, instead of watching, the, uh, the message says, to Thomas, too small. Thank you for everything that you did. Love, Peter. Robin Williams, his autograph. That is, that, is that is incredible. I mean, that's the thing if the house is burning down that you run and grab. Oh, it. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, I haven't even, uh, uh, I, I don't even read it. Like I just kind of hold on to it. I keep in, I keep it in this, this, uh, this plastic baggie to keep it safe. Cause this is the, this is the kind of thing that, you know, you, you take care of, you know what I mean? For sure. Oh, thank um, you so much for sharing that with us. That's really cool. It's making me nervous that it's now not back in the plastic bag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, I was going to wait till after, yeah. but I was thinking, <laughs> no, no, we, we've got time. It's fine. The um, the little prop that you've got there is, is mm -hmm. um, from the the tankard is fantastic, and the fact mm -hmm. that they got it um, engraved as well, and mm -hmm. that script. I mean, the previous actors that we've spoken to, they said that 
so the the little giants guy said, "Oh yeah, we got a we got a helmet." <laughs> I'd be like, <laughs> I would pick that script over anything else. So I think that's, so. That's yeah, a fantastic memento. That script is uh, is because it was it's more than just a memento from the film. It was actually a personalized gift from Robin, and he only made like a dozen of them, and only so all, there's only like a dozen people have a copy of this and and it wasn't just like something that was used and I took and kept it was something that was actually gifted gifted to me specifically so and I also have now I think about it um somewhere uh in a box I'm not going to try to dig up but I have a t-shirt um that was kind of a a, a cast t-shirt everyone got one said cook lost boys on the front and then I went around kind of like a yearbook and got autographs from all the Lost Boys and all of the cast members. And it's got Steven and Robin and, and uh, you know, just like everybody's autograph on this t-shirt that also is packed in plastic and <laughs> in a box somewhere in my closet. James Maddio. That's the- yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, if, um, I mean, eventually, I mean, there's been lots of iterations of, Peter Pan as we've gone on I mean if they were to do uh, they probably have they have done a live action one haven't they I mean if they were to do one in this vein again or to do like a prequel or uh you know or a, a sequel even I mean uh would, would you be, would you reprise a cameo would you be down to you know I would definitely be somehow? down to be involved I for sure I'd be down to be involved uh um somehow <laughs> however i don't know if i could pass as one of the lost boys again but maybe there's a backstory where my character comes back to earth and grows up and i'm the future iteration of too small i can say that it was um in my contract that if they had done a sequel within i think it was five years of the first one then i was contractually entitled to reprise my character but they ended up not doing the sequel so but yeah i would totally be down to be a part of it of course who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> well, if the uh, easily amused group uh, get it put decide to put it on or put it together, then uh, there you go. <laughs> we know how to be in it now, so we're gonna we're gonna walk into your office, yeah. slam it down. <laughs> there you go. You want us in your film? <laughs> you know what? Whatever works. Whatever works. <laughs> what 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 um what are some of your favorite nineties movies? Oh gosh, um so. Right off the bat, I will say The Princess Bride. That, to me, is what I feel like a lot of people tell me Hook is to them. That's the one I've watched it a hundred times. I actually just watched it again last night because they were passing around this um, uh, online, this video of a bunch of different uh, actors reprising, like recreating scenes from it. Um, and so it was like a viral thing. And I saw that and I was like, this is, this is fun, but I just want to watch the movie. So I popped in <laughs> Princess Bride last night. Um, and then let's see, um, Wayne's World is another big one. I love Wayne's World. Nice. Um, Airheads. Uh, <laughs> With the, the, Adam Sandler. Adam, Adam Sandler. I love that movie. Where is it? <laughs> Wait. You have it. I love that movie as well. I have, I have nice. it. On, I have it on my pin board. I love that movie so much. Nice. Steve, the Lone Rangers. Steve Buscemi in that movie, so good. Oh, he's great. Oh yeah, and uh, 
and yeah, Adam Adam Sandler as the uh, the quiet, cool drummer, and just just the whole concept of that movie where they're they're holding up the radio station with squirt guns filled with pepper sauce. Like, you don't get movies like that anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I love I love that right. So I I have this weird thing. I've I've told Dom many times and our listeners that I will sometimes listen to movies while I'm doing like hoovering or cleaning around the house, and I'll just have the audio on because I've like watched them so many times. It's like I can picture it in my head. And Airheads is definitely one of those that I can <laughs> do that with. Absolutely, I'm I'm right there with you, Airheads. Uh, I can do that. I can do that with The Office, the American version of The Office. I, it's I can just hear it, and I've seen it enough that I can just see in my head what's going on for sure. Prison Mike. <laughs> I just... <Yeah. laughs> uh, Dom, have you seen Airheads? Uh, yeah, a long a long time ago, but not um, not like recently. Oh well, yeah. you're, you're gonna have to fix that, my friend. <laughs> yeah, definitely get get back on that. <laughs> we to, that we need to cover that on the podcast at some point. <laughs> what uh, what where else? What other nineties? Oh, uh, let's see. Um, um, off the top of my head, was um, Spaceballs was nineties, right? Uh, I think that, that might have been eighties. Might have been eighties. Okay, okay. I'm a huge Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks fan. Um, so if Spaceballs was 80s, then um, uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights would have been 90s, right? Yeah, that must Okay, have been. so I'll, I'll, say, I'll say that one. Um, let's see. I, oh, and then, of course, any, any of Robin's films, Jumanji is one of my all-time favorites. Jumanji's um, great. Yeah. Um, well, I really, my mind now, I really have to know whether they, they, it was in the 80s or not. Have you already <laughs> looked it up, John? 87. 87 just barely yeah. <laughs> i think princess bride was 87 as well i think oh no okay so so um i think i'm more leaning into the <laughs> into the 80s let's see okay so i gotta come up it with was, um, yeah. um ooh, ooh, liar liar was 90s right the pen the, is uh this pen is royal blue yes yes that was that was that was 90s or like late 90s though but but still yeah. 90s right right yeah 97 yeah 97 there you go <laughs> or oh ooh, the um what a lot of people consider to be the f- the first blockbuster independence day yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. that was what 95 right i think yeah yeah i think so yeah yeah independence day Brilliant. Amazing. Well, it launched Will Smith into the mm. next like, atmosphere, didn't it? Pun intended, maybe. But the, uh, <laughs> of like Hollywood stardom, I guess. Um, sure, yeah. That's awesome. That's oh, awesome. and then again, uh, the first Jurassic Park. The best Jurassic Park. <laughs> yes. we, we just covered Jurassic Park uh, on our last episode. Me and Dom, we did three hours just going through <laughs> how much we love it, <laughs> how perfect it is, and talking about Spielberg and how uh, just that sort of the 90s is. I mean, he's always been amazing from, you know, all the way from the seventies to, and continuing to be, mm-hmm, uh, but mm-hmm. I'd say like the nineties is kind of peak prime Spielberg. Yeah. That's where the whole like Spielbergian feel was sort of defined. And, and you could tell if you didn't know that a movie was done by him just by how it felt for sure. Yeah, They always have that 
it sort of always has a family vibe to it like in terms of like Jurassic Park as well like they have the kids in it and this mm-hmm. is what Dom and I were saying about it was it has kids in it but they're not annoying it's the same, <laughs> the same as Hook you've got the kids in but they're not annoying and then we were mm-hmm. saying you've got some movies the example we used was like John Connor in Terminator 2 it's like He's he's borderline. Sometimes you want, <laughs> you want Arnie to switch on him, but <laughs> and you know what? I know exactly what you mean by that too. He he's a necessary evil, isn't he? In the film, <laughs> and that that sort of the 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 way that he that Edward Furlong played that character, it fits with how like the bad boy was in the '90s. Like there was a stereotype, and he fit right in. So really, this is a critique on that bad boy, 90s bad boy stereotype more so than, but yeah, I get with, get with exactly what you're saying for sure. Yeah, complete, uh, yeah, that's completely right. And it's also his character is meant to be a bit annoying, you know, mm. and a bit like, mm. uh, you know, hop on one foot and all the bits that he does, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's part of the character. And, it, and he does he does play it really well. Um, Have you guys covered uh, Terminator 2 yet on your podcast? No. Not yet, no. So prime example of like, I love Terminator 2, but I'm still going to like, you know, tear it apart. There's one scene where uh, they, him and his friend just got the money out of the, out of the ATM. And then they're, having, they're talking about his real mom. Uh, he puts on his backpack three times in a row. Just because of the way they edit it. He puts it on and then it cuts to another angle and he's putting it on again. And then it cuts to another angle and he's putting it on again. <laughs> I love the film, but I'm still going to notice little things like that. My wife does that all of the time. She's like, pause it. Like that glass was like now half full and it was, you know, empty and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That goes over my head. But, um, uh- I'm a little bit similar. Like Saving Private Ryan is is probably my all time favorite film, but there's about nine or ten mistakes in it, and I, I that's all I see now. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. But it doesn't detract you from enjoying the film. It's just oh, you notice not. the little things for sure. Yeah, yeah. and it's like got to be impossible to get a movie to be completely perfect when you're working oh, yeah. to the timeline and the budget and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So we, oh, yeah. We, and, yeah. Uh, films that they when they're good they earn the credit for those things to be overlooked mm-hmm. exactly yeah and they, they ask you to suspend disbelief and and kind of you know accept the the world that it's trying to present and as soon as you do that then even if you notice the little mistakes you forgive and and forget that they're happening and you're still able to enjoy the film and and that's really what i meant in that one uh, youtube video about star wars fans where they're uh, they're seeing the little things and it's making them rise up in anger against the film rather than still enjoying the film while noticing the little imperfections. Because yeah, it's, it's practically impossible to, uh, to have a film be completely perfect with no, any tiny little flaws of any kind. Like it's just through the nature of it, it's practically impossible. But yeah, Airheads does it. So. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, for sure. That's such a great film. I mean, I, I don't know if it's cult classic status or anything, but it will always be one of my favorites. Same. It's kind of, it fits in the same bracket for me as like, I, I don't know if you'll agree or not, but like Billy Madison, I really love mm-hmm. that as well. Happy Gilmore, those early Adam mm-hmm. Sandler movies. Oh, yeah. There's, there's definitely a, a kind of comedy that existed in the late 80s and in the 90s that 
is a whole thing unto itself that doesn't really, they don't really make comedies like that anymore. Now, now comedies uh, feel more like they're being, it's being spoon fed to you. Whereas a lot of the comedies of the time, there was a little more subtlety and there was a little more finesse to the humor. And uh, yeah, that's, I totally, totally go in with comedies from that era more so than, than uh, recently. Like Wayne, like you said with Wayne's World, Wayne's, Wayne's World. World would never be made now. And they're, both of them are so classic to me. <laughs> do you have a favorite of the two Wayne's Worlds? I, I like I, them both, but I do like the first one better. Okay, purist. <laughs> You're a purist. I mean, I, I like the second one too. I just, uh, I, I, I happen to enjoy the first one a little more. That's all. <laughs> do you have a preference, Dom, on Wayne's World? Um, again, two films that I haven't seen for a long time. I think probably the last time I watched them was with you, um, <laughs> a long time ago. So I, I would probably and, and you're hosting a '90s movie podcast. <laughs> I've watched a lot of other '90s films. <laughs> I just haven't caught up with those yet. <laughs> Dom spent the '90s watching Saving Private Ryan daily. Uh, daily. Okay. I mean, from from '98 onwards, I pretty much just watched that. <laughs> Well, that was definitely a good film and worthy of watching on repetition for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. and, and another Spielberg film. That's true. Damaged now. Damaged. <laughs> Aren't I, Simon? You are. Yeah, you, yeah. you put, you put uh, Spielberg and Tom Hanks together and you're going to have gold every time, I'm telling you. They did uh, more recently um, uh, A Bridge of Spies came out a couple of years yeah. ago. It was another Spielberg and Tom Hanks and that was such a powerful film too. Those those two just make magic whenever they get together. Yeah, and to, Tom Hanks has got a new one out, Greyhound, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The the uh, submarine one, World War Two as well. I, I wonder if Spielberg has got any production credit on that. I don't know if he does. Yeah. I can't say. But uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I'm meaning to to watch. Planet, probably going to watch that this weekend. I haven't I haven't seen it yet. I think it just came out, but. Um, I yeah. just saw uh, Tom Hanks on Stephen Colbert talking about it. And so like, I'm definitely really interested. You can watch that this weekend, probably. Cool. Is, is Spiel, did uh, Spielberg do Catch Me If You Can? I think he I did. Think so. I think so. That was a good movie. That was, a very... that was Tom Hanks and DiCaprio, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Tom Hanks yeah. And, and Leonardo DiCaprio. And that was a, and I, I remember, uh, I've always been very impressed with Leonardo DiCaprio's acting. I feel like he's very underrated because in, in Catch Me If You Can, it obviously was all filmed at the same time, but since it covers so much of the lifespan of that character, you can, you can easily see how he carries himself as a young man versus an adult. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's such a good actor that you believe oh he's a kid and then in the next scene oh he's a full-grown adult you believe it he's definitely underrated i would think I, as an actor tommy we're like the same person i i <laughs> i can't say enough how much i love leonardo dicaprio as an actor for all of those reasons you just said and he's so versatile gives such a great performance and he's able to carry a whole film pretty much on his own i mean obviously not in that one tom hanks and etc but he is I, I don't know he's just he's so good it's hard to name a, a dicaprio film that isn't good or that he exactly. hasn't given a good performance in oh yeah in um in this boy's no it was uh what's eating gilbert grape 
I totally believed that they had hired a mentally challenged person to play that role until I saw his next film, This Boy's Life. And I was like, whoa, he's, he's a normal person. <laughs> like, yeah, what? My wife, my wife <laughs> does that as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, even like Basketball Diaries with James mm. Maddio, um, and which was an early one, you know, Titanic, mm -hmm. obviously people you know, because it was so big and everything. He gives a great performance in that. And then things mm -hmm. like The Departed, Shutter mm -hmm. Island. Mm -hmm. um, oh, man, yeah, The Departed. Inception. That was Inception. Inception, oh, yeah. I was just watching a behind-the-scenes thing on Inception uh, earlier this morning um, on how they filmed some of those scenes. Uh, one of the dream sequences where gravity shifts and you see the water and everything. They actually built the room that they filmed in on a giant seesaw. So the whole room tilts and like, wow, that's just, it. I, I want to go watch Inception again. <laughs> <laughs> just hearing you say that makes me want to watch Inception again. It's such a good <laughs> film. That yeah, is definitely. So many of, uh, so many of his films are so great. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's awesome that he said, and we haven't covered a DiCaprio film yet. Um, and I guess there's not many, there's not as many to choose from in the nineties apart from Titanic. Titanic's the main one, isn't it? To be Romeo, fair. Yeah. Titanic Romeo is Julia. like, you know, it, it was uh, the highest grossing film of all time for a long time. Yeah. So you definitely got to cover that one. Romeo and Romeo. Juliet, another good one from the nineties. Yeah. Claire Danes is in that as well. Isn't she? Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a film called Total Eclipse. Total Eclipse. I don't that think he's in, 1995. Okay. Marvin's Room. <laughs> okay. Basket Again. Basketball Please. Diaries is a particularly difficult one to watch. Are there, have, have you seen that? I, I have, but not recently. I think I, I saw it when it originally came out. Right. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I've seen it maybe twice. It's just difficult to watch in terms of there's a lot of like crying and, you know, drug use and stuff. It's kind of, you know, a, a spiraling mm. down story, but it's still, you know, well made and well acted, etc. You've got a young Mark Wahlberg in there as well. <laughs> and uh, we've got the, the man in the iron mask. Oh, you've got Jeremy Irons, um, John Malkovich, a few others. Yeah, and then and then all of a sudden you think about it and remember how much you enjoy that. So that's a good film. Do you know, uh, confession, I've actually never seen it. <laughs> I have. <laughs> okay, okay. So 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 we have Wayne's World and The Man in the Iron Mask as your next couple of podcasts. <laughs> Agreed. <Excellent>. Done. <laughs> uh, I we could sit here and talk about movies with you all day, but I I'm sure you probably have have a life um things to do. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i try here and there <laughs> well, have, you, have you got have you got any other questions dom uh i, I just want to say a, a massive thank you for all your time um for agreeing to come on and talk to us for your amazing insight um and for showing us um kind of the, the heartwarming side of um your experience and experiences with robin williams as well and uh, it's great to hear the the stories that you've got and all the memories and uh, just literally everything that you've had to say and really, really enjoy looking at your stuff online as well um, that we really want to share. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's yeah. Thank you so much, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. And 
yeah, it's it's a real honor for us to to speak to to people like you that are giving your time to us to to share about these movies that mean so much to us. So you know, thank you from a fan perspective and. It's just been really nice talking to you as well. It always makes it so much nicer when the person is so nice. And uh, yeah, like I said, we could I could talk to you about movies. Uh, me and Dom could talk to you about movies all day and we would love it. So uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you very much. I've, I've had a good time talking with you guys. Um, and if, uh, if, if, uh, if it's not stepping out of bounds, if I might promote one more little thing with you guys. Of course. Um, I have a show that um, I've been kind of promoting lately that I'm on. Uh, season one is on YouTube right now, but season two is about to be released on Amazon. And um, it's, if I could promote that for half a second, uh, if you don't mind. The show is called Real Acting. And it's sort of uh, um, uh, the office style mockumentary following an acting class. And uh, my character, Daniel, is uh, sort of the, the experienced SAG actor, the professional that's kind of friends with the teacher. So I'm there to kind of judge all the up and coming wannabe actors in the class with me. Um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm an actor in it and I'm also on the writing staff. And so that's kind of... Uh, been one of my big primary focuses lately is is uh, uh, promoting this this show, and we actually just finished filming season two right before the the COVID uh, lockdown started. So we got it right in under the wire, and um, the uh, the director uh, producer is is telling me that any time now, uh, any day now, season two will be available on Amazon. Uh, so if um, and I can send you guys a link to this too. But if uh, if you guys go to YouTube.com/slash White Ninja Productions, you can find that's the production company that makes the show. You can find the show Real Acting Season One at least, and uh, you know, sp spread the word about that show. That's awesome. Well, yeah, a hundred percent. We'll put the the links to that in the description. And yes, please, everybody, get involved and support that. And Dom and I for sure will will be on that. And uh, yeah, that, that's awesome. And anytime you have anything else in the future uh, that you know that we can help spread the word about, please let us know. We can do that on Instagram or, you know, you could come back on and tell us about it and, and we'd love to hear all about it. Sounds good. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. You guys, this has been a lot of fun talking with you guys uh, about movies and stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's, Thank you very much. Yeah, that's high praise. <laughs> Well, to, uh, to any to our people out there listening, please rate, review, subscribe, all of that good stuff on the YouTube, on you know iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Uh, yeah. Dom? Uh, follow, us on, follow us on Instagram at the Mighty 90s uh, and follow Thomas as well. Uh, we we follow him, so yeah. Make sure that you you find him uh, and uh, look at all his content. Look at what, everything that we've done. Um, and if you are leaving a review, then please be gentle with us and wear gloves. Yeah. Wear gloves and your mask. <laughs> now your mask. Yeah. Show me the honey. Steamboat and Billy. Doot, doot. Don't want to raise your kids. I don't even like kids. His name is Robert Paulson. You're not even a hashbear. You're a never was. I'm Woody.
Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm gonna show you God does exist. I am invincible! Go, baby, go! Once again! I see pride! Junior! I see power! I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody! That's right! That's right! There's not a man today who could take me away from my God. Wait, you get licking! It's like looking in a mirror, only not. And I don't think they give him for surfing the internet. <laughs> go, baby, go! And when everyone says it can't be done, ducks fly together. Rocky loves Emily. Rocky loves Emily. Rocky loves Emily. What's going on? Well, welcome back to Neverland Band the Man.